I'm going to read this morning from the Heidelberg Catechism, first of all. It's a, the insert, the translation that I would have us read is in the insert of your bulletins. It's Lord's Day 3 and 4. Immediately after this, I'll read the scriptures, the basis for instruction such as this in the Catechism. You find here that I'm, I'm going to read three in chapter, or Lord's Day 3 and 4. We're going to kind of summarize the teachings of the Catechism on our sins and miseries uh, this morning so that we can understand just where the Catechism is headed and where we ought to be headed, that is, directed to our Savior, who saves us from sins and miseries. In Lord's Day 3, the question is asked, did God create man so wicked and perverse? And the answer, of course, is no, God created man good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly or truly know God, his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. And then this question, then where does man's corrupt nature come from? We spoke of that somewhat last sermon. From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise, this fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. And then this question, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the answer we give is yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Lord's Day 4, but doesn't God do man an injustice by requiring in his law that man is what man is unable to do? And the answer, of course, is no, because God created man with the ability to keep the law. Man, however, at the instigation of the devil, in willful disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. And then will God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not, he's terribly angry with the sin we are born with as well as our actual sins. God will punish them by a just judgment, both now and in eternity, having declared, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. But isn't God also merciful? God is certainly merciful, but he's also just. His justice demands that sins or sin committed against his supreme majesty, be punished with a supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. So you have there a, uh, a mouthful, to be sure, about sins and miseries. We're trying to speak of this in a few moments this morning in the preaching of that truth and of the gospel in its light and the gospel to which this teaching on wickedness and perversity leads us. I find a fitting text to summarize all kinds of things, but also the teaching of sin and misery and deliverance from it in Ephesians 2. So we'll turn to that now, be referring to this and expounding this somewhat in, in our sermon. But Ephesians 2, the first 10 verses, and here now the word of God, this foundation of truths such as are taught in the Catechism and other faithful creeds. And you, the inspired apostle says, and, and you he made alive, referring to the blessed saints of God. You he made alive 
We're dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As far we read this great chapter of the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 1 through 10. And I find here in this text a perspective, a perspective, they call it aboveness, a perspective of the God who's above and of the scriptures that are above and even of the people of God who have been taken above the sins and miseries of this life to be with God even now in the wonderful participation we have of Christ in his own exaltation. I was reminded of perspective. My wife and I were privileged to go to a wedding yesterday in Canada, and we drove there yesterday morning, came back last night. And I don't know, but sometimes the problem of ministers can be we don't get out of the study enough, and so... These times can be blessings when we get out of the study because we gain a different point of view, maybe, that's helpful. And I was struck by the fact that there's all these houses and barns you follow when you're, you see when you're going somewhere and new houses and new barns you've never seen when you're going somewhere you've never been. And then there's a new church, a different church and different people and all these viewpoints and all of these things that people talk about. And there's what I find at different centers of the world. Every different home and the persons in them, they, they view the world from their acreage or from their church or from their city, from their deli, and according to their nationality or ethnicity and so on. They all have their different opinions, and so do we. And how small our world can be when we're kind of locked into our own opinions and our own perspectives, it's as far from truth as individuals can be. We just have our own viewpoint, and our world is the center of the world, we think. But how lovely it is for Christians to have a, a better view, hopefully, even though we're those who have our own acreages or apartments or jobs or societies and families we live in and church and Nevertheless, we've been given the truth of God's word. That's a great gift. A great gift when 
that truth that we together have the word is, is impressed upon us every single Lord's Day and every time we read with our families and privately from the word of God. There is a divine perspective of things that's truly true and a wonderful perspective that we have and can have as we assimilate the truth by faith. And as our worldview and our own view of ourselves and others and of God and sin and grace and all the doctrines of the Scripture is shaped by the Word of God, the Spirit working in the Scriptures to sanctify us to a holy perspective. And I was thinking again, and maybe it's too bad that the minister doesn't get out enough, because as this getting out makes him to think a little bit, of this fact of the different perspectives and of the one perspective we have. In light of what seems to have engulfed the whole world, sins and miseries, death and dying, tumult, chaos, unrest, threats of things even worse. The recent outbreak of war in the Middle East, in Israel, Gaza Strip and the ongoing battle of Russia and Ukrainian forces and so on. And we have this all over the place, this kind of warishness, this battle in society. And there's all different perspectives of just how it came about and how it's continuing and why different religions come to bear in this different opinions of these people over here or in the majority and those who are in the minority. And it itself is showing us the weight of ideas and biases, however strong or true or weak or whatever. Ideas have weight, words have weight. In fact, the World War I of the ages of truth versus the lie is a war of words and truth versus lies and lies against the truth. So we have something to say and the catechism has been bringing this out. The catechism has catechized us so far and shall today, God willing, and God through the catechism of the truth of sins and miseries the importance of knowing them rightly, that we might know our only comfort in life and death and serve God and witness to the truth, the only truth that is a comfort and a rock in the midst of the, the sea of nations, the truth of belonging to God, and the truth of the great privilege that believers have of knowing him. And somehow even now, and I would address us all in all of our miseries. We all have them, all of our sins and miseries. Somehow, even now, we're taken up above. We're given rest from the perspective of heaven. Not that we're out of the world, but even in the world, beloved. In the world. We are not of the world. In our view of sin and miseries, and that the fact that there's no way out, as the catechism reminds us, there's no way out even for God unless there be a mediator. There's no way out of God being God, I should say. 
we need to be reminded. And so I find in Ephesians 2, uh, various ways we can be helped and raised above the fray to understand what sin and misery is and the way out. So I want to consider death and misery from the view of above, from the above view, uh, a heavenly perspective. First of all, death and misery will kind of summarize from the scriptures, from that point of view, and that as we regard them as the heavenly above and true and divine view of that. And then we want to consider the view from below, from above, because we're in this not yetness. We're here below, but we're coming from above. And then want to consider the view from above, from above, and to summarize things and what that leads to. Even as the Apostle Paul reminds us, we've been exalted by the great riches and love in Jesus to be above and to show this, having been saved by grace alone, that we might walk in the good works and witness that God has given us to walk in. So follow me and let's follow God in this, shall we? Death and misery all around us. Death and misery. Death and misery and all that is involved in death and misery has been the lot of mankind ever since the fall, we say, from the point of view of the scriptures. Adam and Eve, they ate of the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God had warned them, don't do that, because in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And he said this, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, Genesis 2, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Or in Hebrew, dying you shall die. It's emphasized there. Dying you shall die. So we learn here in the creation of man, Genesis 1 and 2, that God created all things good, but then man, under the instigation of the devil, fell. I know the devil came to Eve, but Adam was made a representative head, as we'll speak of this, speak of this presently, but there was this fall into sin, and the consequence was death. Immediately, not that Adam and Eve stopped breathing, their hearts stopped beating, then there would be no human race. But they surely died as God had pledged they would when they transgressed the commandments of God. Death. Death then became in the garden a, a terrible reality and something that caused misery, not only to Adam and Eve, but to the whole human race, and not only to the human race, but to the brute creation, as we call it. The whole tr creation began to groan and travail, somehow participating in the curse of Adam, though there was no willful disobedience, of course, there cannot be 
disobedience of creatures of God other than man and angels. There they fell. And they fell into death, and we can define this death this way, as separation from God. And the fact that they were expelled from the garden is a grand picture of this. Adam and Eve's expelled, being expelled from the garden is a picture of the fact that they're in their cursedness no longer with God, and human beings can no longer have fellowship with God. The spiritual component is on the foreground, in other words, in the punishment of God of death. Separation from God. We sing in the Psalter, to live apart from God is death, as good as face to see. One thing only have I desired, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. The psalmist is saying, I need to be with God. He's my life. Apostle Paul would say to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death is to live apart from God in Christ, and death for that person is eternal misery in hell. So there's this definition the scriptures give of what death is, this separation from God, this disfellowship, which is a punishment, not a natural thing. Not something that is part of the evolutionary uh, scheme of things, part of the natural selection, part of the survival of the fittest, a natural thing like everything else is. Evolution and progress as well as death as the way of people getting better and genes being preferred above other genes and this chemical and atmospheric and altogether natural without God thing, death. The Bible speaks of death as wages of sin, as what man has merited because of sin, and as the Catechism will say, it is so bad, is death, because it's sin against the Most High Majesty of God. This is not just sin against an, another earthling, a transgression of something, a taking of their candy or something. This is a dishonor to God and commensurate with the transgression is the punishment. There is a dishonor to the king of the universe. There is transgression of his commandments, holy commandments. And how dare the creature defy his God? And so it is not for any it is, it is for good reason that the Apostle Paul, in fact, in Ephesians 2, reminds us that we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. You see how this is brought out here. The Apostle in the New Testament is inspired to write an epistle that speaks of all sorts of things, Old Testament and New. Speaks of things fundamental, of the Holy God. And Romans speaks as well of this God being angry with the wicked who are under his, his, his condemnation and he's angry with them because they are unrighteous and they show this and they hold under the truth in unrighteousness all the day long. And so there's this wrath component into the death which is front and center that's made 
out here in Ephesians 2 to be the problem. You are made alive, and you are made alive from this predicament. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And then later, you are shown the great love of God, even when we were dead in trespasses, verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ. There's his death. There's this universal dead death. We were dead as well and under wrath, as well as others, all others. No one is exempt from this. No one is more honorable than the uh, title sinner. We are all born dead in trespasses and sins. This is, of course, the death blow, this text all by itself, to any form of Arminianism that says that we're not born totally depraved. We still have a free will. A dead person here is described, and all dead persons are described spiritually as to their trespasses and sins, and they are described as dead. Don't miss it. They are described as dead. Don't miss it. The world is described here as a cemetery. Don't miss it. And the last I knew and the last anybody knows, dead men don't desire anything. They're dead. They don't rise to meet their maker. They don't rise to fulfill conditions. They are dead in trespasses and sins. Not merely comatose, not those who still have good inclinations. They are dead in the realm of trespasses and sins. Sins have taken over. They have killed the sinner. We are dead in sins, under the wrath of God. Now, this deadness, of course, is not flattering to the human race, not flattering to the religious human race, not flattering to ministers, not flattering to priests and popes, not meant to be, beloved. It's meant to point out the gospel. But the scriptures remind us of this death sentence of all who are in trespasses and sins and all who are in Adam. Because you'll note that the apostle speaks of us being by nature children of wrath, reference there to the fact of our birth and original sin. We're, we're trying to put together here what the catechism brings out. We are corrupt and totally unable to do any good, inclined toward evil unless we're born again. There's a nature in which we're born. There's an inclination, a pronation, as some of the translations of the catechisms, uh, catechism have. We're prone, flat out, bent on sin because of how we are born. We are certainly not born reformed, but we are all of us born deformed. We have no spiritual capacity, intellect, desire, love, or inclination or propendency to do any kind of good, to accept some kind of offer that God would parley us about. We are those who are dead. We have no hand to reach out to God. We are not flailing in the sea, we are out drowned at the bottom of the sea as the metaphor has been told. Totally depraved, unable to please God, dead in sins, and this 
inherited from our first father, Adam, the head of the human race, Romans 5, in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. What a predicament. And what a predicament, too, because God is God. God does not behold iniquity except to punish it, the prophet says. And indeed, that's what he will do, and that's what he does. And cursed is everyone who does not keep the commandments, even among the religious favored, the Jews or the Gentiles who have the commandments of God. We're under a curse if we're trying to live and to keep something and to do something to please God in ourselves. This is the whole point of Ephesians 2. We need mercy and grace. Presently, we shall talk about this. This is the perspective, the above perspective of the Bible, beloved. The Word of God. Be thankful for this perspective and that this is pounded and expounded every Lord's day. And its doctrines, yes, in this other non-inspired creed, but in this faithful creed that would seek to summarize everything the Bible has to say about particular points. And the all-scripture that's profitable is profitable first for doctrine, and a first prophet necessarily must be a view from above of what sin is, what death is, and what sin is, and what miseries truly are. And if we lose this perspective for one week, for one minute, as we're about to do one thing or make one decision, we are in peril of making not only bad decisions, but of falling into the wrong perspective that leads into backsliding and sin just like it has in this world and just as we have walked before we're born again. You'll notice here, the being dead in trespasses and sins led to and leads to doing dead, a zombie stored of existence. Don't ask me how the movies can ever come out with anything close to truth, but they do when they speak of zombies. They're talking about just the way the Bible speaks about sinners, dead in sins, yet walking, the walking dead. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of the air, according to the way, the lifestyle, the stream of humanity. According to who? God? No. According to the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the prince of this world. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, the reprobate, the power among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. There it is. Packed into those verses what deadness is and what deadness does. 
and what deadness smells. And what deadness leads to destruction. This is the perspective of the Bible, not flattery at all. The perspective of preachers, the perspective of anyone who's a child of God that we need to have. God says in this book, here, right here, but from above, this inspired book, the truth of the need of Jesus Christ the truth of our peril, the truth of the precarious position that all of people are in and sinner that you are in if you're pretending to be a Christian, if you're half in and half out or three quarters in or, and one quarter out. You see, the contrast is made here between being alive and being dead. Not being dead and then being sleepy, maybe. But being dead and being alive, or being alive and being dead. And death is death, and cemeteries are cemeteries, and cemeteries and graves are not the places for those living, and the places of ill repute are not the places for those who are living, and the place of life like the church of Jesus Christ and homes that are covenant homes are places where the dead don't fit and don't belong truly unless they be born again and live. wanted to share with you that perspective. Going down the road, there's a home, there's a home, there's a farm, there's a business, there's another church, there's this or that. There's a new country. Here we are. We got through the border in 10 minutes. But ever is this wonderful view of the Word of God. And now, this thing from below, the second point, the view from of what is below from above. What is the view of the world of all of this? And I'm going to be brief necessarily on this point. There's a a view of the world that the miseries and the death of the Middle East now that seem to be escalating are the problem of Hamas, Hezbollah, or Iran. Or the problem is Israel and the Americans who might support Israel. And the problem of the Ukraine and Russian war, who knows who's to blame there, except, of course, that Russia attacked unprovoked, seemingly. And then the guy shoots up the place here in a bowling alley, and this This person is estranged from the wife and goes and shoots her and the children. I don't even want to preach about this stuff that's not really worth hearing and certainly not for tender ears. But surely we're going to hear it somewhere. Let's hear it from here, something of it. It's bad out there. 
And the badness of it all is that the miseries and the death are misidentified. What the miseries are and what the death is all about is nothing at all biblical in most cases. The perspectives are not biblical. And then what the solution is, is of course just political or scientific or nuclear. Those people, they're terrorists, just kill them all. Not understanding that you'll never be able to destroy all the tunnels. And you'll never be able to eradicate a sinful heart, the heart of a full-blown terrorist, or the heart of a self-righteous terrorist. The heart deceitful above all things from which flow the issues of life. You see, when man fell, he didn't just fall, and now he denied the Constitution. He didn't fall and break his little pinky. He fell and he had a heart attack. So his whole perspective, not only, his whole worldview is all askew, and all of his doing is dead, dead, dead. What he does that he thinks is right, deadness. What he does that society claps about, death. What he does in his leisure, what he does on the sitcoms and makes people laugh, death. If these things, of course, not be from a true heart of love to God, according to his word, to his glory. The people, they don't know the true definitions of things, the biblical things, and the God of those truths. They don't want to. And all they, like Cockroaches have gone astray. Sheep are no better than cockroaches when they're astray. Let's get that right. Astray is astray is astray, whether you look like a sheep or a cockroach. And this is our problem. Here we are, and the Catechism reminds us Yes, there's sins and miseries, but we want you to know your sins and miseries and how great your sins and miseries are because otherwise we preach and we make Pharisees and we make those who come into the temple and thank God that we're not like those people over there. And we're thanking God that they haven't infiltrated the ranks and there's no, nobody tunneling under the church here to blow it up. Here's what God would say to us today. Even those who are those who have the perspective of above the scriptures. He would say through Nathan, through Mitch, the prophet, 
Thou art the man. You are the compromiser. Repent and believe. Stop being dead, you who say you're alive. Stop being lukewarm, you who say you're on fire for something. Get out of your study, yeah, but out of your, your own little world that you build around yourself and that I build around myself. That's, that's how the word comes to us afresh, by being the sword and by Jesus himself wielding the sword in the congregation saying to everybody, now receive this wound here this faithful wound from your friend, Messiah, Jesus, who says, this has got to go, and now may there be quickening here. May there be a renewal, revival, whatever you want to call it. This living because you are alive. And a sign of your being alive is not to be comfortable with your sin, not at all. To hate it, to want it to be cast as far from you as east is from west and north and south and so on. So, this is the perspective we have to have, that we're, we're with Jesus, but we're still in this world. And we have to deal with our own sin. And that wretchedness of the Apostle Paul should be ours. So the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I, that I do. O wretched man that I am. You see, the Apostle is speaking there not as a corpse, but as a wretched living one who nevertheless has this putrid aspect of himself. That turns to this, that turns to that. Anything but turning to the word and turning to the reality of God. The holy God and of God, the God of grace. And remembering that the liberty in Jesus Christ is not liberty to license. By faith alone we're justified but not to a faith that's all alone, bare and naked, no fruits to show for it. This leads to my final point, beloved. There's this perspective we have of the aboveness as those who are, who are above. You, you realize this? I think, I don't know what the problem is mostly with this or that, Religious community, reformed community, Presbyterian community, our community, my life, your life. Is it the case that we just wallow in our sins so much? Or is it the case that we, we don't understand sin at all? But, beloved, there's something we do forget, I think, significantly enough, without putting a number on it, and it's this, we are loved with an everlasting love, 
with a great love, the apostle says. Verse 4 starts with a but. That's the gospel right there. Here was what it was like. You were dead in sins. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You also walked among them, conducted yourselves among them in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God... I think we need to get there quicker so often in our views of things, in our resolutions about things, in the morning and the evening, and everywhere in between. God, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what God did and maintains. Your participation somehow in the throne room of Jesus Christ, now your triumph over sin. You're being able to look down even at your own sins and miseries and all of the rest of the worlds from God's perspective and God's peace with himself and be able to assess correctly and then to do things correctly and in a living, God-glorifying way. This is it. And mind you, this all happened, and this great love was shown to us, but this all, this great love that was shown to us is a part of the plan. Ephesians 1 is all about the wonderful predestination of God and according to which he chose us in Christ Jesus in love before the foundation of the world. Fancy that. Believe that. And according to which now he works all things according to his, the, the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1 verse 11 even so, as we have seen before, yes, there is sin and misery, but so, but God so, God will show that he's not only the God of justice, but of mercy, and somehow he will be God in showing both together and that in Christ Jesus. This is all about Jesus. The above is all about the Son of God who came from above to be here below, who bore our sins and our miseries, upon himself and the wrath of God for them. And that's the gospel here. The gospel from above of the God above has come to be with us and made us to have this point of view. Whether you're American going to Canada, Canada coming, Canadian coming to America, wherever you're going, Wherever you live, God has come and seen you, and he says, I love you. And what this results in, this view, is a life, just as the view of those who are dead in sins is deadly for their walk, 
So the view, the faith of those who are alive in Christ is wonderful for their walk of serving God. By grace you've been saved, verse 8, the well-known verse, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not just in the beginning, but always, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, never is of works, lest anyone boast ever. And the reason is, we are his workmanship, God made us by grace, through faith alone, We're created in Christ Jesus. Why? To live like that, beloved. To live like that, Sovereign Grace Church. To live like that, even in the midst of the sin and the misery and and the terrible things that happen to any kind of people in church that will live godly in Christ Jesus. We're created, loved, risen, given this perspective and the power of a new life. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, so, do you believe in this God more than you believe in your sins? More than you know about the catastrophes and the miseries of the world? And do you believe in this God? Know Him. And you'll know your only comfort in life and in death, belonging to Jesus. So rise up, beloved. Rise up and serve. Rise up and sing. Rise up and live to the praise of this great God of our life forever. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we pray your blessing. Help us to rise up now to serve you, to serve your people to be witnesses in this world of a life from the dead in Jesus Christ, of a life that is free, freely given, a great inheritance that is a portion of the inheritance that's been given to Jesus, the heir of the nations, and the wonderful son of your love, to whom be all the glory. God bless this congregation. May we live and be strong in our faith and active in our life of giving and caring and serving. May we be fruitful in our praise to you. For Jesus' sake, amen.